In the, in the past couple of years, uh, we have had kind of a really exciting time in the life of our church. We have had uh, kind of two waves, if you will, of um, kind of baby booms. We've uh, we filled the nursery up once before, and then as they grew up, they kind of emptied out, and we are now refilling it. So praise the Lord for uh, being obedient to the call of Christ to multiply and fill the earth. Amen? Uh, and, and here's one of the things that, that is so cool about that. Um, when, when babies get of age, you know, when they're first born, we, you, know, you usually take a few weeks before you bring them into church. And then when you bring them into church, they come into here first. Uh, most parents, when their babies are born, they don't take them straight to the nursery. They bring them in here. And, and it's beautiful to me because these kids get to sit in and under um, the voices of God's people singing praise to his name while at the same time uh, sitting under the teaching of the word of God. And I know they don't understand it. And I know it's, I know it's um, from an intellectual standpoint, I know that really nothing is kind of firing off or happening. I know that infants don't sit in their, um, in their car seats and go, you know what, I'm, I'm such a sinner for waking mom and dad up in the middle of the night. I mean, I know they don't do that, but, but just the fact that they're in here and sitting under the teaching of the word of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing to me. Now, uh, during, during the time of the service while they're in here, many times, and this has happened, and if it happens today, I'm 100% uh, for it, uh, please don't feel embarrassed to get up or to get out. But uh, oftentimes what happens in services is the babies get to this point where they're just like, hey, something's going on. I am not happy to be here. And so they let their presence be known um, by trying to out-preach me, which is, which is totally fine. Um, and, and then when, what, here's what happens. All moms go to, the, there's this go-to thing that we, when babies start to cry, right, there's this go-to thing that you try to give them in order to get them to not cry. And it's called a what? pacifier, right? So we give them a pacifier, which really, I mean, <laughs> thank you. I mean, on cue, that is a, thank you, Lord. Um, and, and so when we, you know, when, when our kids cry in church, we, uh, and we've all been there, we've all taken, my wife and I, we've taken all of our kids into church and they've all cried and they've all had their moment. Um, and, and, but when we, when they cry, we do everything that we can in an attempt to try to get them to be quiet because when babies cry, where does all the attention go? Like everybody's eyes go to the baby, right? I've, I've watched all of you, a baby can cry and you know, the mom or the dad kind of figures out, Hey, this, this ain't happening. This ain't going down. We're not getting the crying to stop. So they get up and walk out and I've watched all of you, your heads follow everybody <laughs> right out the door. And, uh, that, that's kind of. What happens? So when babies cry, whether it's in the service or in the middle of the night, we um, the typical go-to. It's a pacifier. And, and sometimes one of the parents will get up and, again, take the crying infant out of the sanctuary. And at other times, the crying infant can be soothed enough to stop crying. So sometimes you put the pacifier in the mouth and it works. And it's like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Because now no one's looking in my direction. They finally, the baby stopped crying and everybody quit looking. But there are times when that doesn't work, right? There are times when the baby continues to cry. There are those times when the crying infant is too hungry to be soothed by a pacifier. Like you can put that thing in and they just right back out. Like it ain't happening. I'm just going to keep crying. The pacifier isn't working. And what a pacifier does, uh, while it does often quiet the baby, after a while the baby wises up. The baby figures out, hey, there is nothing coming out of this thing. Like, I am, I am hungry, and it is time to eat, and I am ready to eat, and you keep putting this thing in my mouth, and it's not producing anything. It's not giving me anything that makes my stomach happy. And so we, here's what we do, right? If we, uh, we, we 
get up, we stand up, we walk the baby out, we take him to the nursery, we try to get him something to eat. Um, But here's what I want us to think about this morning. If we're not careful, we'll fall into the trap of we ourselves come to church week after week. We sit in these pews, we hear these songs, we sit in classrooms and we hear Bible studies taught. And, And I wonder if if Sunday after Sunday, what we are simply trying to do is to be pacified. That we're showing up, that we sit in the pews, we sing the songs, we go to the Bible studies, we do these things, and, and really all we're doing is we are pacifying ourselves. We, we will, it's kind of like we, what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to get to a point where we just want enough of God to get us through just maybe making ourselves feel better about ourselves or maybe making us feel better about where we stand with God, that we, we come to church just simply to pacify some of the concerns that are in our heart. Like, am I right with God? Do, do, I, really, do I really love God? Of course I love God. I'll, here's how I can prove it. I'll show up to church. Now, showing up to church and worshiping God are two, two totally different things. And so what I worry about and what I wonder about sometimes, if, if, if this becomes sort of a pacifier for our soul, we, 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 look for, we look for God in service or in song or sermon only to realize that the hunger is still there. I mean, we've, we've been pacified, but nothing really happened. Nothing really came out. Nothing really touched our soul. God didn't stir in us. We didn't think about what God has said to us and then decide, hey, you know what? I need to do something about that. But we have shown up to church and we have done kind of the church thing that, again, it's just simply a pacifier. And and many people walk out of church Sunday after Sunday with still this burning in their stomach or the stomach of their soul going, "I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I got what I was looking for. So here's a question that I want to ask you, and we're going to put this up here for you. What, what do you hunger and thirst for? Is it, is it recognition? Is it popularity? Is it accomplishment, whether it's in the classroom or on a football field or a softball field or whatever field it is, or is it accomplishment in the workplace? What do you hunger and thirst for? See, there is, there is not, I am convinced, there is not a more powerful motivator in the planet than hunger and thirst. Now, for us, we probably go, I don't know about that. And the reason is, is because here in the United States of America, we live in the land of plenty. None of us, none of us ever woke up at any point in the last week and thought to ourselves, I really don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I really don't know when my next drink of water will come. None of us have ever done that. For us, we, we wake up and we just start thinking options. We think, like many of you are thinking, or, or you're going to have this discussion here in just a few minutes. What do we want to eat for lunch? And it's not, what are we going to eat for lunch? As in, there's no food, we got to find something. It's more of the, hey, which, which of the numerous options, whether it's, if it's at the house or if it's in a restaurant, which of the numerous options do we want to go and enjoy? And it's not something that we may fully understand, this hunger and thirst as a motivator. It may not be something that we fully understand the power of, because again, many of us have never lived in one of those places or spaces where we just didn't know. 
I remember years ago, I lived in San Diego when I was in the military, and I remember, I think I've shared this story before, but just want to share it real quick just to help you understand the power of the motivation behind hunger and thirst. Um, we, were, we were sitting at a red light, a friend of mine and I, in downtown San Diego near the gas lamp district, and there was a guy, there was a homeless guy, and he's like frantically just throwing stuff out of a trash can on the side of the road. I mean, literally, his, his head and shoulders are down in the trash can, in the city trash, and, and he's just doing this, and paper is just flying out. And finally, the paper stops flying, and up stands the man, and in his hand, in each hand, he had something. He had in this hand, it looked like a leftover sandwich, which he took a bite of and ate. And then in the other hand, he had a cup of coffee, which I can only imagine was half drank. And he turned it back. See, hunger and thirst, we think that is repulsive. Like who in the world would ever do something like that? The person who would do something like that is one who is hungering and thirsting. They will do things. It is such a strong motivator. I mean, think about the things that we deal with. I mean, every weight loss tactic out there is, is geared towards trying to make us figure out how to get past our instinct for hunger and thirst. And again, our hunger and thirst is not the same kind of hunger and thirst. It's not like we don't have food or we don't have something to drink. Our hungers and thirsts are slightly different. I want to... I want to look at Matthew 5, 6 and then kind of unpack it a little bit. This is the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is preaching. This is part of the Beatitudes, which I preached on several years ago. But um, I want you to look at what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6. He says, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So what do you hungering and thirsting for. Um, the Greek word for hunger is penao, and it means to crave ardently, to have an eager desire. Now, we understand, right, there's the difference between hungering and craving, right? Like, so when we go, when we talk about hungering and thirsting, in, in our American mindset, we don't think about not having food, but cravings we absolutely get. We understand cravings. See, you can, you can eat almost anything and quench your hunger, but when you have a craving, not just anything will do, will it? When you have a craving, you have to have that thing. You have that, that thing that's out there that you know that, if, man, if I could just get a taste of that, I would be so satisfied. See, last week, again, while we were on vacation, we would uh, get up in the morning we would uh, have something to eat. Then we, would, we went to Universal Studios, and we would spend hours walking around in 90-degree heat, standing in long lines, waiting to ride rides. And then at the end of the day, you know, people in our crew would start getting a little hungry. And so we would be like, all right, it's time to go. We would go back to the room. We'd freshen up maybe. And then, and then it's like, all right, we would have this discussion. Where do you want to go like, where do you want to go eat? I mean, listen, we're in Orlando, Florida. There is, I mean, anything you want, anything you can name, it's there. And so we have these questions of, when discussions, what do we want to eat? Now, when we say, what do we want to eat, what are we really asking? What, the question we're really asking, the question below the question is, what are you, what, craving? I mean, because that's what it is. I mean, we can, we can go eat anywhere and satisfy our hunger, but there are, when you have the discussion about what do you want to eat, 
with your family, what you're really asking is, hey, what are you craving? And we'll often respond with, you know, I'm not really craving anything, so anything you pick is good. Or sometimes, what, what I really love is when, and not that any of my family has done this, but when you go, hey, I, what do you guys want to eat? I'm not really craving anything. Anything you pick is okay. All right, well, let's go to, and you fill in the blank with your favorite restaurant. They go, well, I don't really want to go there. So what are you, uh, what are you craving right now? What are you craving? So again, when we ask the question, what do you hunger and what do you thirst for? The question behind the question is, what are you craving? So that's what I, I want to do. Just reframe the question. What do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? To what, are you, what do you crave? Because see, we, we chase after the things that we crave. When we crave something, you can, again, you can go fill your stomach with something that will satisfy your hunger, but you and I both know that we have had meals and enjoyed dining out experiences where we have eaten and we have walked away, what, dissatisfied. Why? Because though you ate it and though you are no longer hungry, it did not satisfy whatever that craving was. And you walk away disappointed and you go, I didn't really care for that meal. I didn't really... I didn't really enjoy that. And I do not feel satisfied. Because again, hunger is one thing, but craving, man, that is, that is hunger cranked up another notch. So here's the thing, and, and I ask, what do you crave? In, in ignorance, here's what we do. And I don't mean that to be a, a, you know, a term or a word that, that is meant to put anyone down. I just mean... In ignorance, a, a baby can be satisfied. Baby doesn't know any different. You put the pacifier in the baby's mouth, the baby thinks, hey, I'm getting something here, so I quit crying because something eventually is going to fill me. So in ignorance, a baby can be pacified, but eventually, again, the baby feels, figures out that there's, there's no milk coming out of this thing. My, my stomach still feels empty, and so now I'm really getting angry because I feel like I'm doing all this work and nothing's, nothing's happening for me. And so I'd like to... Um, I'd like to suggest something to you as long as you and I, in our pursuit of Jesus, as long as we are satisfied with pacifiers, you will not really crave the real thing. As long as you're satisfied with your church attendance as your relationship, as the satisfier of your relationship with God, you won't crave the real thing. As long as you are satisfied with maybe listening to the K-Love or whatever on your radio that this is a good substitute for me for for my relationship with God, as long as you are pacified by that, by that, you won't crave the real thing. As long as you are okay with sitting at home and, and watching a sermon on TV or listening to a podcast in your car as you drive down the road as a substitute for your relationship with God, then you're just simply being pacified, but you will never be fully satisfied. So unless you become and unless I become like the baby who rejects the pacifier, the fake substitute, the religious ritualistic ceremonies that we often go through as a way to somehow satisfy a craving that's in our soul, you'll never find the true nourishment that you are seeking to find. You will never find it because you can't know it apart from knowing God experientially. You have to grow and I have to get to a place where it's about experiencing God 
and not just kind of showing up. So what are you, what are you craving today? The real question that I've been asking all along is this, how hungry are you to know God? How hungry are you to know God? And I don't mean know God in a way that you can post a verse on social media page. Anybody can do that. An atheist can post a Bible verse on their social media page. I mean, how hungry are you to really know God for who he is, for him to have all of you? How hungry are you? Maybe the real question that we need to deal with is not what do you crave, but this question, who do you crave? Who do you crave? Because here's the reality. We have always had this question. Who do we crave has always been the question since the serpent introduced it. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Do you crave you or do you crave hunger and thirst for God? Do you crave you or do you crave hunger and thirst for God? Look in Genesis chapter 3 verses 4 and 4 through 6. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, meaning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which this is a discussion, if go back and read all of Genesis 3, if you're not familiar with the story, but there's a discussion going on between the serpent, Satan, and Adam and Eve, who, by the way, in that moment, lived in perfect harmony, perfect peace with God. They, had, they walked with him in the cool of the day. They actually had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. They had everything they could eat of every tree in the garden except the one. They could eat of every tree in the garden except the one, and the serpent deceives them. And this is the conversation that happens. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes, your eyes, notice your eyes, when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be what? Like God, knowing good and evil. And here's what he says. He goes on to say this. So when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. In other words, her appetite in that moment was herself. His appetite in that moment was himself. The serpent played that pronoun over and over and over into their head. You will become, you will eat, you'll be satisfied. This will make you the happiest person in the world because there's one thing that you don't have right now. There's one thing that you don't have. You are not like God and God just knows that when you eat of it, you will become like him. And so it's the deception. What do you crave? Do you crave you or do you crave something greater? We all battle the craving of ourselves to satisfy ourselves, to seek for ourselves, to do for ourselves, to always be about me, 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 me. And ever since then, see, that's always been the question who do you crave? See, Adam and Eve in that moment were given a choice do you crave you or do you crave God? Do you, tr do you crave being in God's presence with God? being the people of God, or do you crave you? And that's the question that all of us are always going to deal with. And ever since that moment, we have been eating and we have been eaten. 
See, we have been eaten from the inside out by the desires of our flesh. The cravings come and we just can't help ourselves because we have not yet found the thing that satisfies us. And we have been eating nonstop from the variety that the world would throw at us. There's all these things that you can eat from that, I, that the enemy is going, hey, these things will taste good. They'll make you satisfied. They'll give you everything that you're looking for. And guess what? They don't. They just leave you feeling empty and absent from the presence of God. But, I mean, come on, we've lived long enough, right? We, live, we have lived long enough to know that our cravings of the flesh never, ever leave us finally and fully satisfied. We know that. It's why we always want more. Our appetites never scream, I'm satisfied. Our appetites and our cravings always say, more, more, more. You're going to want the next iPhone. You're going to want the newest vehicle. You're going to want all of these other things that, the, that the, your flesh is saying, hey, you need this in order to be happy. Did you know that um, many of our cravings, many of our cravings are generated through experiences? Did you know that? See, let me give you two examples of how our cravings are generated through our experience. Now, some we were just born with, the desire to eat, the craving to eat for nourishment, that we're born with that. But some of our, a lot of our cravings are created through our experiences. So for instance, um, if you go to a sporting event or you sit down in your home to watch a sporting event, have you ever noticed that you eat more junk food when you attend a sporting event or watching a sporting event than you do if you were not? See, our environment that we're in says, hey, when you go to a baseball game, when you go to a baseball game, what do you eat at a baseball game? Hot dog, peanuts, Cracker Jacks, right? Because the song tells us to. We drink sodas. You go to a, you go to a, or, or you get the, the, the super loaded nachos with the jalapenos and the nacho cheese on top. And if it's really like, if you really, really want to go big time unhealthy, you can get it with the bacon on top or whatever, right? I mean, when you go to sporting events, the environment that you're in creates the craving in you. You're not even hungry. It's like, man, that hot dog smells good. I'm going to go grab a hot dog. Or how about this? And, and another way that our experiences create the cravings in us uh, a couple years ago, we went to Arizona. I have family that lives out there, and we try to go from time to time just to go see them. And when we were out there, uh, I, I have been to Arizona, I don't know how many times throughout the course of my life, um, a, a lot. And this last time we were out there, which was about three years ago, it was in 2020, we were out there, and uh, I'm, we're, we're looking up because, again, when you go places, what do you do? Like, all right, let's go try some food that, you know, we haven't had before. And so we do a food search, best things to eat when in Tucson, Arizona. And there was this thing called the Sonoran dog. And the Sonoran dog outside of Jesus might be the next best thing to change your life. Okay. I mean, the Sonoran dog was phenomenal. Me and Sydney still talk about it to this day. If we go back to Arizona again soon, we're going to get another Sonoran dog. I mean, a Sonoran dog. Let me tell you what a Sonoran dog is. Because you're thinking, how can a hot dog be that appetizing? They take the bun, and it's a really quality bun, right? It's not one of those Wonder Bread buns. It's a good bun. And they take it, and they put it face down on the grill with some butter. And then they take the hot dog, and it's a really quality hot dog. And it's, it's wrapped in bacon, and then they put it on the grill and they just roll that thing around until it gets to a nice crispness and a nice warmth. And then they take the, the bun off of the grill and they put some beans in it. 
And you're thinking, this does not sound good. I promise you, it's good. They put some beans in it. Then they take that hot dog and they put it on top of the beans. Then they put pico de gallo all over it. Then they put some nacho sauce and then they put some jalapeno ranch sauce and then they serve it to you. And I'm just telling you, I don't know how, but all those things just work together. And it is a beautiful, beautiful experience. I would have never craved... I would have never had a craving for a Sonoran dog if I had not tried a Sonoran dog. And now it's like when I'm thinking about going back to Arizona, the one thing that I'm really like, okay, on the list of one of the top things to do, not Grand Canyon, uh, not, not, not you know Tombstone, not, not any of these other parks. It's like we're finding the stand that sells the Sonoran dogs when we go back to Arizona. Why? Because I had an experience. It created a craving that I'd never had before. And that craving will drive behavior when we return to Arizona. Now, did you know that the creator of the universe, God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, did you know that he invites you and me into an experience with him? Not just head knowledge, like, I could have Googled, hey, things to eat in Arizona and said, oh, well, there's this thing called a Sonoran dog. I said, whatever. No, no, no. We're invited into an experience. See, if I'd never experienced it, I would never crave it. God invites me and you into an experience with him. Not just head knowledge of the fact that he exists, but I want you to come and experience me. Look at this, Psalm 34, 8. Look at what he says. Oh, taste and see that what? The Lord is good. Blessed. There's that word again that we started Matthew 5, 6 off with. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him, he invites us to taste and see because once we have tasted and seen the goodness of God, nothing else will satisfy. See, it creates a craving. When you have experienced God on the deepest level, when you have gotten past the superficial surface level of just showing up and attending an event, when you get past all that and you taste and see that the Lord is good, you will want to experience it again. You will crave the presence of God. Not just like, oh, well, that was a fun event. No, you will crave being in God's presence. And when you're not, you will miss it. You will hunger and you will thirst. You will want to be in the presence of God all of the time. You will want his presence manifested in your soul. You will want his presence to be experienced 24-7. And when you feel like something has, is coming in between you, there's this, uh, how many of you saw the movie The Jesus Revolution? Okay, some of you did. If, for the rest of you, you should really go watch it. Fantastic movie. Um, there's, a, there's a line in the movie, so there's the girl and the guy, um, and, and they're like courting one another. They're like, they're, they're in love with one another. They want to get married. And there's this line in there that he would say to her and then she would say back to him, if you get between me and God, it's over between us. And see, when you have that experience with God, when your craving is, is established for desiring his presence, anything that wants to get between you and God, you'll push out of the way because your craving for him will be so strong that you'll know that nothing else will satisfy. So he invites us into this. 
And he says, blessed or in a good condition is what that word means, is the man who takes refuge in him. In a good condition is the man who consistently desires the presence of God. In a good condition, let me say that again. In a good condition is a man or woman who persistently and consistently desires the presence of God. Is your soul in a bad condition today? It could be that your cravings are for something other than him. The reason it is good for us to worship together, the reason that this is better than being out there, the reason, like people say all the time, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Show me in the Bible. When you show me in the Bible, then we're good. The reason that God gave us the church is because we get to come together where two or three are gathered. What does the scripture teach us? There he is in the midst. He's right here with us. When we gather together, when we study the word of God together, when we praise God together, we experience God together. And when we experience God together, there is a craving that should follow. And the reason it's good for us to worship together, the reason that we need to be together as often as we can is because environment helps to create the cravings. And the more you're here, the more I'm here, the more I'm with you, the more we're together the stronger our cravings for God should get. But he doesn't just say blessed are those who hunger. He says hunger and what? Thirst. Look at Psalm 42, 1. Listen to what the psalmist writes here. As a deer pants or thirsts for flowing streams, so pants or thirsts my soul for you. You know, animals, it's funny, you watch National Geographic, I love watching the ones where the lions, you know, you get over in Africa, you get over in the desert, and, and they have these seasons, and they have these seasons out on the plains, and what'll happen is, is you got dry season and, and wet season, and when wet season comes, there's um, all these little ponds fill it with water, and water's plentiful, but then when, when, um, when it gets dry season, as the ponds begin to dry up, what happens is the crocodiles know that, hey, the, the animals have to come here and they have to eat. And so the crocodiles lay in the water and the animals know that. But the animals risk life and death. Why? Because their thirst drives them to the hole. Does your thirst, what are you thirsting for? What are you craving? Is your hunger and your thirst driving you to God or is it pulling you away from? Because what you crave and you hunger or what you crave and you thirst for, what you hunger and you thirst for will be the thing that drives your behavior. So what do you crave? Do you crave you? Do you spend all of your moments in life trying to decide how to make you happy? Is everything in your life about you? Is everything in your life about trying to figure out how to consume more for you to make, try to find that thing that will finally satisfy your soul? Or do you crave something that we have a promise? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. How do, we, how do we obtain righteousness? The only way you obtain righteousness is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he doesn't just one time make us righteous. See, in the moment of our salvation, we are justified. We receive justification. Our sins are forgiven. But there is a process called sanctification where Jesus, he comes into our life and he, he begins to shape us and mold us so that as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, that we 
are shaped and molded, that we are conformed into the image of his son. That the more time we spend with him, the more we behave like him, the more we become like him, the more we look like him. It's like if you hang out with friends who use a particular slang word, eventually you will use the slang word. You, you, you hang out with friends who dress a particular way, you will begin to dress that particular way. The more time you spend with people, the more you become like the people that you spend time with. So my question again is, who do you crave? Who do you crave? Do you crave more time with Jesus? Do you crave more time with God? Does it drive your behavior so that you can become more like Jesus? Because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the promise of Jesus is that you, those, he said, blessed are those in a good condition are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, um, years ago, there's a group, um, the Rolling Stones. Y'all ever heard of the Rolling Stones? What's one of their most famous songs? I can't get no satisfaction, but I try. Jesus says you don't, you don't have to keep trying. You don't have to go pursue the buffet of life to find satisfaction. If you want satisfaction, he says, hey, all you got to do in a good condition, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So what or who do you crave? You or God? Let me read you one last verse, and then we're going to watch a video, and then we'll have the worship team come up and close this out. Psalm seventy-three, twenty-five: Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is what? Nothing on earth that what? Besides you. Can you say that today? That there is nothing on earth that you desire besides him. If you can't say that today, then your craving is for something else. He would go on to say this. My flesh and my heart may fail. And that's where, that's where we live. So there are, if, we're, if I'm being honest, there are moments in my life when I go, God, I have a craving, and, and I just, I'll be honest with you, I feel sick in my soul in those moments. There's times that I go, God, I feel like right now I crave something else more than you. That's just being truthful. There's, there's moments in my life and, that I go, like, we're getting ready to come back from Orlando yesterday, and you know what I craved? You know what my soul wanted? My soul wanted to stay in Orlando with my family. You know why? Because I enjoyed that. But then I go, God, you've got to have my heart. And, and there's just these tug-of-war moments that come when we go, man, God, am I craving this more than you? Am I filling myself, trying to pacify myself with the things of the world that can't satisfy? Or God, am I genuinely, genuinely craving you that I know is truly the satisfier of my soul? He, so my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, in verse 27, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you, but look at what he says in 28, but for me. It is what? Again, is that like the passion of your heart this morning? That you would say, but for me, it is good to be near God? Or do we spend the bulk of our life trying to figure out what else we can get near to that may make us feel good about ourselves? 
I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your good works. See, we get so easily deceived, just like Adam and Eve did, to thinking that this world is about something other than what it really is about. Your life, my life, it's a vapor. I mean, those of you who are my age and older, you get that. Like, it goes by so fast. You look up, you graduate high school, you look up one day, and I'll be 50 in December, and like, man, how in the world did I get to be 50 years old? And it just goes by so quick. And then you begin to have these questions of, well, what has my life been about? What am I wanting to make the rest of my life about? Am I going to make the rest of my life about me, or am I going to make it about making God known to a lost and dying world? What do I crave? That's a real question for all of us today. What do you crave? Do you crave you or do you crave God? And I wish when I was younger, when I was their age, I would have known that truth, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied because I wouldn't have wasted so many years of my life chasing after things that only made me want more of the things that would hurt me. But I want to show you a video about a group of girls who's close to y'all's age, who gets it. You guys turn your attention to the screen. Man, what I wouldn't have done at the age of 19, 20, 21, however old they are, to have known what they know, to know that, that, that all of my everything is in Christ, that, that I'm going to win some, I'm going to lose some, I'm going to have successes and I'm going to have failures, but it doesn't matter because this is not our home. And, and they, so, they desire Jesus more than they do championships. And I just wonder, I have to ask myself sometimes, what do I crave? God, where are my cravings at? Are they zeroed in, dialed in on you? Because you have shown me so much. You've been so good to me throughout my entire life that you are, you are what I hunger and thirst for. Or do I allow myself to get caught up in moments where I hunger and thirst for other things? which have the potential to derail my life, to derail my family, to derail my ministry, to derail everything that I've said my life is about. There's always those questions. So what are you craving? You have to be careful. We have to be careful to identify what are we craving. 